Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello everyone and welcome once again to The Phantom Zone, your one-stop shop for all things nerdy. If you like what you hear today, you can listen to our other episodes on a whole range of nerdy topics now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and SoundCloud. My name is Chris Buick and I'm joined once again by my fellow nerds, Simone and Ian. How are you both? Hey. Hello. Good, thank you. I am loving life, as always. That's always good to hear. It's always better than the opposite. So I'm glad. And I'm also being sincere. I realise my tone may sound like I will. Never, no, never I am, really, right? can never tell with you sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just a husk of a person. <laughs> but, we're, but we're all good, right? Yeah, yeah, loving life, honestly. Yeah, things are great. Things are really good. Good. So let's keep it that way because this is <laughs> the week we are here. It is finally happening. It's time. Because it's time. <laughs> indoor voice, Ian. Indoor voice. <laughs> because this week, to mark the release of Oppenheimer, the 12th and latest film from Christopher Nolan, which tells the story of one J. Robert Oppenheimer, the so called father of the atomic bomb. Now, listeners, if this is your first time with us, first of all, welcome. Thank you. Nice to have you. What episode you've chosen to start with, if so, because I'll just give you a bit of backstory. We here at the Phantom Zone have something of a running, let's call it a discussion on our podcast about Christopher Nolan. Uh, a couple of years ago, Ian and I first met along with some others in what was the very first episode, I believe, of the UK Film Review podcast, which just so happened to be on Christopher Nolan. And while that particular episode was very cordial and everyone had a very nice time, both times we did it, um, it transpires that afterwards that our very own Ian, Lonnie, had been holding back somewhat in terms of his thoughts on Nolan and his catalogue. It's the nicest you'll ever hear Ian be about Christopher Nolan at that point. What I've learned from both of you in your, I guess, home lives is that the Nolan debate doesn't stop at the microphone. It obviously carries on at home. It, it is definitely the the most contentious part of our relationship. We were once having an argument about Nolan on a motorway and 
we were driving and I my speed was increasing as I got increasingly more frustrated. So would you say Nolan's the thing you argue about the most? I think that was my worst. In terms argument. of films. In terms of everything. Well, we've we've been talking about this for a while. Obviously, we've been back and forthing about Nolan and thoughts and ups and downs throughout his films. So we figured, right, let's let's do this. Let's actually have a discussion and go through it. You guys have gone through all his films recently. Yeah. But we've seen we've obviously seen all of them, you know. Like yeah. we've we've all 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 three of us have seen all of his films uh to date, uh including with the film which we're gonna start with, which is his most recent film, uh, which we all saw today, which is Oppenheimer. Second his day second day of release. Today is Saturday the twenty second. We saw it the day after. So um I guess we'll start with the brief review of that one before we start looking into Nolan's back catalogue and questions and that. Um so after three hours, what do you? <laughs> <laughs> what did we think, Simone? I I really enjoyed it. I did. I did really enjoy it. I I went in with really high expectations, and they didn't quite meet my expectations. But I still really enjoyed the vast majority of the film. Um, I thought Killian Murphy's um, is it Killian. Yeah, Kill, Killian, Killian, Killian yeah. Murphy. Killian Murphy's performance was outstanding. Completely harrowing portrayal of Oppenheimer. Um, I don't actually know too much about Oppenheimer, so it was. And from what I gather from Ian, it was quite a historically accurate mm. film. Um, and yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I did have some serious issues with the female characters, mm. but that's an mm-hmm. issue with yep. Nolan, Nolan in general. general. Yep. Um, I think he really needs a, a, a probably a firmer script editor to tighten up his female characters and give them a little bit more um yeah i didn't really enjoy florence Pugh's body being used as a set piece um and just her character being this like tortured woman well both both of them i mean emily blunt's character is essentially just always drinking and is there to kind of pull him around when he is um when he's when he's at his lowest and yeah. it's kind of it's kind of like the the two lead characters uh really don't have anything else to do in this film apart from prop up the men and fill in the background or yeah. you know f- make points for him to follow it's very and it is a you're right it's a very much a problem with nolan in all his films that he doesn't know how to write women or mm. give them full characters yeah it's 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 a it's an issue that i've noticed from even from his first film from following there is a, a distinct lack of understanding um but that being said l- really enjoyed the film um i'm giving it a broadly good um i don't think it's my it's not my favorite film that he's made um but i, mm, okay. I completely um admire the the work that he done that has done and the i really enjoyed the cross-cutting of um the the trials and i thought that was really good um i do would i wished that he would have left the um and i'm forgetting the name of the place los los alamos Alamos. Alamos. yeah i wish he would have left that intact at the heart of the film um and had the cross-cutting scenes be either side 
Los Alamos mm. in the in the middle, um, a sort of like the heart, and then you have the chaos around it after the after the explosion, after the bomb's gone off, um, and it would have like left a a nice like symbolism for the explosion itself. I think that would have mm-hmm. worked really well, but um, mm. I I enjoyed it. It doesn't didn't need to be three hours long. I think it we probably did not. It did not. It really did not. It really did not. Not justified. Christ, no. Nolan. It was not justified. Mm. But but I guess I... question for both of you on the length then before Ian obviously want to hear your thoughts on the film itself is did you feel bored though? Yes, you did. Yeah, because I because no, I don't think I, I don't think I particularly bored. felt. Yeah, I didn't feel bored, but I was like, there's easily twenty to thirty minutes here that doesn't that could be compacted i I think i got bored in the 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 latter end of the film i would agree yeah that's when i got that's that's when and to your point simone about the editing and the way it cuts is very is 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 very good technique but it sort of loses it goes it starts to go a bit frantic towards the end and i I feel like it was like we need to finish and it like starts being quite erratic yeah i felt like because I said this to Ian in the car on the way home, um, mm. I felt like it kind of like picked up pace towards the end. Like things started to get a bit more choppy towards the end, and it felt mm. like mm. it was almost like an acceleration. Mm. I don't know if you felt that, Chris, but maybe that yeah. was just me high on like so much salt and sugar from my popcorn. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yes. got we got That's big it. popcorn for this. Film. It was nine yeah. a.m. It was way too much salt and sugar for first thing. In the when morning. you know it's three hours, you got to bed in with the snacks. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise yeah, you, you get, get, get halfway through like I'm starving. Yeah. There was a there was a woman next to me that had a hot dog and nachos. She was oh, clearly the guy next to us. Not to digress too much, but the guy next to us. Which, if you listen to this, that's a massive coincidence. But, dude, like, he turned up wearing, like, what looked like his pajamas. Which I'm like, okay, it's an early showing. That's fine. I respect that. But he was coughing, and then he was sneezing. And not sneezing, like, achoo, like, sniffling, like, and snorting and stuff. And then he blew his nose in the (laughs) middle of the film at a point where I needed to hear some dialogue. And I was like, fuck's sake, man. Like, shut up. (laughs) so at least it was only a hot dog next to you because our next door neighbor was a complete ass. That's my thoughts <laughs> on the film. <laughs> Proper cinema etiquette. This is what we've always said, right? So, yeah, it's like that know. guy who was in your one who actually was on the phone. It's like, uh, what? Oh. I still wish I would have thrown his phone away. Dude, I would have actually slapped him. Like, uh, genuinely. Uh, anyway, uh, what, what I would say about the film is, um, for me... It was. I will get your thoughts on it in a minute, Ian. I promise. <laughs> but, I don't worry. I, I can already see how this debate's going to go. Sidetrack yeah. the whole way. <laughs> I, I, for me, it was definitely a f- film of three thirds, and they were separated pretty much by an hour. The first hour I felt was very a bit dry and slow, mm. and I felt like it. Mm-hmm. But and then the second hour is where it got more interesting. Obviously, yes. the countdown to the bomb. Uh-huh. You know, the everything is accelerating because obviously they've got to meet their deadlines. You know, the Russians and uh, the Germans and the Japanese all getting involved and stuff. And there's like, okay, the stakes are starting to become a bit. And obviously they're racing. And then obviously the spectacle of the bomb. And then I think the third, they just kept going. They kept putting their foot down, like you guys said, where it's just like, right, we need to wrap things up now. And it's just like this guy and this guy and this guy said this and this guy said this. And it's like, whoa, okay, what's going on? And you're just, for me, I was trying to just keep up with who's who and what who's saying what to who and what it means mm. in terms of repercussions for which person. And it's very much, I was like, 
it felt I felt like I was doing my own quantum equations trying to figure out who's connected beautiful who. minding it in the yeah middle. i was just like oh my god right and then eventually it all falls into place and it's i i, I did it i did i do actually think i i did enjoy the film and i would agree on the broadly good spe- scale with simone i just think that apart from the problem with the female characters which i have a real problem with because i and i counted oh. it because i know this about nolan and we said it's this on the really we said this about tenet there was 25 minutes till a female said a said a word yeah in the film which is terrible and it's not it's just n- never improved he i think ha- it's actually worse now like yeah, I, I, i'll obviously let you finish but it's a part of my thoughts on it yeah. as well and it's something i want to get into later because obviously i think with his female characters he can or he thinks he can hide behind stories that are male driven and not have to worry about them but the women he has in his films are just so underserved but mm. and that's one of my major gripes with it is you've got two great actresses in there mm. one of them is basically a sex object yeah and then the other one is basically just An apart alcoholic. from the apart from the brilliant couple of minutes she gets where she's talking to the prosecutor and basically sassing him back they don't do anything else really there's nothing no. else and no. but yeah i've got many more thoughts on this so i think kelly murphy's great i think i think generally a lot of the cast are great there's a lot of faces in there of like oh it's that guy it's that guy oh i know him i know this person he's in that and then but there's a lot of people in there it's like haven't, did they need all these people in here? Did, <laughs> they, did they did they need all these characters? Can they maybe pull these things back a bit? Because mm-hmm. I mean, Jack Quaid, who we know as Huey from The Boys, he gets introduced, and then you see him like maybe one more time after it, and then he's gone. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, why is? Yeah. I, I mean, I know everyone wants to be in a Nolan film, but why so is Remy Malik's randomly ra- in as well? Yeah, yeah. I was like, yes. he doesn't say anything until he has this whole massive exposition. Yeah, thing. he's yeah. the one who's <laughs> the big. Yeah. 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 It's like, oh, let's give it to Rami Malek. It's like, because he was get like, him down. Come on, was he Rami. On, was he on set that day? They're like, this guy. <laughs> He's around the corner. Um, Who can we pull in? Oh, Rami, having, come on in. Having said that, and I was going to ask about historical accuracy because, you know, I know you know yeah. more about this stuff. Is for me, it felt like it was kind of keeping true from what, from what I know about that time and what happened. I was like, okay, I, I remember reading kind of about this and knowing a bit, bit about him as a person. And going through it, I feel like despite it's 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 a flawed film, but I didn't I I, I do think it's a good film. It's okay. my general summation of it. Oh, good. Well, good guys. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> now, Ian, what did you think? Um, well, I think oddly, like a lot of the things that you guys touch upon, not enjoying, I also didn't enjoy, but I think I disliked them more than probably you both did. I think this film is broadly fine to broadly bad. I think it has moments of really great cinematography and storytelling, as we've all agreed in the Los Alamos. Los Alamos. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> in the in that moment, it's probably its apex of the film, and it's probably the peak of it. It really does a great job of showing the tension of the situation that they find themselves in. Not what I liked about it, and this does link to the historical aspect, there is an argument to be had that the film doesn't do enough to perhaps delve into the position of which America finds itself in the war. But this isn't about America, it's about Oppenheimer. So I was okay mm-hmm. with losing perhaps the fact that they talk about they've got more uranium, 
they managed to get that uranium by um, going to Congo and causing mass devastation to the country and uh, how killing, you know, numerous people to get it. Uh, they don't discuss that. And that's fine. Like, I'm not, I think there'll be other people who go, oh, they should have like delved into that. But I don't think this is the fi- that what this film yeah. is trying to tell. It's yeah, telling I, Oppenheimer's story. I agree. There. It's, it, this is definitely a biopic of a man rather yes. than a period piece of a time or exactly. an event that happened. And there's a lot that I agree that is left out outside of his world. You know, yes. the influences of what the army did or what, you know, presidential decisions and what's uh-huh. happening in the war. Uh, obviously, they don't show what happens at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but it's because it's not about well, that. I'll get back to that because I actually do think that's there's a slight detriment there with the film's tonality. But um, what I would say is I think the the beginning part of the film, I very much agree with you, Chris. And I think, Simone, you alluded to this too, that the beginning is like, I found a very stereotypical Nolan film, uh, which I will get into further that it's just exposition dump after exposition dump after exposition dump. And it's really boring. Like it's just cut from one person's face to another person's face as they're just talking about what they have done, what they're doing currently, what they need to do. They move to another scene, what they are doing, what's going to happen, what we're going to do, cuts to another person. And it just became tedious until they actually got to making the bomb. And then that's when the film really kicks into overdrive. And that's when I... I find that with a lot of his films, which again, we'll get into, but I think a lot of his films spend a huge amount of time setting up the film and doing it, having exposition, because you do need exposition, but the best exposition is hidden rather than just dumped in front of you. And this is just totally dumped in front of you, just black in your face. And then once we get to Los Alamos, it's totally better. We have this, I think the, peak of the film and the best scene of the film is actually when they are about to test the bomb it's Mm. ticking and it's time is going down and the tension's getting more and more and then just silence yeah and that was genuinely i was like that's great that was really good i was gonna say that i think the second third i guess second hour of this film for me is where it really takes off and really is as good as it is yes the whole thing and that sequence in particular i was gonna ask you both the 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 bomb scene's obviously been talked about leading up to this film and how it was done, what it looks like. But how did we feel in that moment when the bomb is actually a, a leading up to it and when it goes off? Because I was, I'm not sure about you, but I don't know what I was expecting, but I felt unex, I, I felt like still unexpected. I'd love if Barbie appeared and was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can um, imagine Barbenheimer's real. Um, <laughs> it's real demons. But um, it, I, I wasn't expecting it to hit me in the way that it did because I wasn't expecting it to play it the way that it did, if that makes sense. Yeah. I the mean, silence you spoke about just a minute ago. I didn't expect it to be silent either. Um, I also think, again, this does show where he has talent and quality. Um, I think, obviously, you're you're limited in the practicality. You can't actually set off an atomic bomb. Um and I remember like in the build up to this film, I think we even talked about it on an episode of Nerd News. It was like, uh, oh, he's actually detonated a bomb. And I was like, what, an atomic bomb? He's like, <laughs> he's actually blown some shit up. Um, but what he did do was by using, you know, quick edits and cuts, which is where those sharp cuts can work very well, um, by showing the fire, the intensity, 
the co- continuous blast um and then the silence of it all was actually very like hard hitting and i found it very very good that moment uh, i think simone you agreed didn't you after we came out yeah i thought the 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 bomb going off the detonation and the scene that precedes it with um matt damon <laughs> well no not even just with matt damon but when he's like giving his speech and you can tell that he's just like his heart's not in it he doesn't actually believe anything that he's saying and everyone is just he's just saying what everyone in that room wants to hear um no, that's after is that after that you're talking about after yeah that's when that that's when hiroshima actually is bombed like they get caught they hear it afterwards and he stood and then, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah, after. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. After. that's that's quite a powerful moment that, as well well that's what when, when i continue my my opinion of the film i uh, i will get to that scene that scene because there is something of crucial that i think is crucial for the theme of the film there Okay. But yeah, we were talking about the <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I I I think the the detonation was I don't know what I was expecting. I I wasn't expecting like Bugs Bunny. That's all, folks. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm not sure what I was expecting, but it was it was very powerful. Mm. It, it was, was very powerful. It was it's very a great powerful. scene. It's a it's a really really well done scene, and I really think for me it was like the peak of the film. And then mm. once we get into that final third the final run um i found it quite tedious at the end i found that we just like as we were going through the deposition of him being able to have his credentials which i'm not sure for what but i guess as a government scientist i think Mm. um as we were going through that yeah yeah as we're going through that meeting it was like and here's the next guy to come in and here's another guy to come in i genuinely thought we were like when we saw one of them i was like that's the last one right that's the last guy and then it's like and here's another i was like oh my god fine i get it there's lots of guys like we all just get on with it can we just get on with it like and it dragged a lot in that final third for me even though the editing became more erratic it didn't mean that the length of the film suddenly felt shorter it actually felt elongated because it just wasn't allowing me to like be in the scene or get to know that it just became just a very tedious exercise and i think with the theme which is what simone you were mentioning with that the the scene where he is announcing the destination of hiroshima or at least making um some comments on the 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 bombing of hiroshima to the people of los alamos um i found that scene like very very good initially like them all turning to being evaporated and then him seeing like a charred body it's very much like his guilt setting in of what he's done um but then i feel like the film doesn't like it doesn't feel like a it's final scene where he's like, oh, we didn't start that chain reaction, but we really did. And then he's having visions of like a nuclear apocalypse. I just feel like the final third, because it was mainly focused on him losing his credentials, that payoff of like him realizing he's done the wrong thing, or at least he's more of an anti-nuclear arms person now, didn't really come across well. It kind of came a bit left field for me because like, that's the only scene we have of him having that sort of guilt. And then the rest of the final third is just deposition after deposition. Yeah. Whether it's Robert Downey Jr.'s or or Oppenheimer's. And like then the end, he's like, Well, well, think there's gonna be a nuclear war. I kind of was like, you could have probably done a lot more 
to make yeah. that come across that this is actually an anti-nuclear arms film or an anti-war film or whatever you're trying to show. But much like a lot of his films that we'll get into, I think they're very sterile and very cold. Mm. And I feel like The Last Third was incredibly sterile and cold. And that's fine, but then its theme didn't come across to me. Also, just in that scene where he like walks out, the guy vomiting at the end of that scene, I felt that was really weird. Why did they just like, they had a ash room and then a guy outside going, Bleh! I was like, what the hell is that? I think I actually said to Simone, it would have been better if he came out and on the wall, there's like um, shadows of yeah. people who've been evaporated because that's yeah. what happened. Yeah, um, that would have been more impactful. That he turns and there's loads of like shadows of where people stood and were vaporized instantly, yeah. rather than a guy just vomiting. I was like, "The fuck is that? Why is yeah. this? Why is he vomiting?" It was really yeah. weird. Broke the tone for that. Me. That- I I would I would agree. I think that scene after the after the and the after Hiroshima where he's addressing them is where. You realize because he's he's accused of it throughout the film of being more of a politician than a scientist at times, mm. and I feel like he's definitely he's addressing them as a politician and not a scientist, and it starts to play on like you said, his as the, and they allude to it in the final part, but never really show it his moral like dilemma quandaries with what he's done, but it's more it's all just matter of fact. Well, this. It's that what he's telling said. you rather than showing yeah. you, isn't it's it? Like, it's like, yeah, this sitting, is what's he's, happened. He's sitting there and he's clearly obviously troubled, but it's not in this. We don't see him coming to terms with the fact of what he's created, which, mm. and I think you look, as we know from history, anyone involved with that project has really come to terms with mm-hmm. what they did. Well, and I think, you know, things that are positive of the film is that, you know, they do have dialogue where. You know, he says, you know, we bombed a place that was basically going to surrender. And I liked that because, you know, there is a lot of historical evidence now that shows Mm -hmm. that Japan were actually pretty much on their knees and that the main reasons for Hiroshima and Nagasaki taking place was the fear of the uh, the invasion of Russian forces, thus creating a divide in Japan, much like in Germany at that time and Berlin. Um, and the Americans really didn't want that in the Pacific. And uh, there's quite a substantial amount of evidence for that. I actually think it would have been a interesting part of the film to add that because of the whole fear of communism. Uh, but I did appreciate that they did mention that Japan were ready to surrender because mm. I think they could have just been like in that council meeting where they were like, oh, the Japanese are never going to surrender. Of course, the American generals are going to say that because they're trying to justify to these scientists what they're going to do. But I like that later on they do acknowledge that that probably wasn't the case. Um, And I do think that does need to be said because I think history, uh, I do think films do have a responsibility. And I'm glad that they did keep that in and put that. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's... (sighs) I think it doesn't help that we watched like 11, well, no, nine of his films. Because like by by this point, I was quite like, oh, God, there's so many tropes of his films that go along with it um, that I kind of maybe am a bit drained by them. But I think one of the huge ones, as all three of us 
have acknowledged and it really really didn't sit well with me at all was the female characters in this mm. film mm. yeah it actually yeah. made me deeply uncomfortable i think it's his worst example of it yeah. it's it outrageous is, yeah. like it's, it's this massive step backwards he's not, not even a side step to where he normally is it's a massive step oh, it's so bad and like again i'll go into this more because i i had already written this and then it kind of has played into my like argument on his films but his way of like giving lots of exposition is there's like different ways of doing it in film writing um but a way which is um coined is called uh, the pope in the pool method of storytelling um which essentially is like your you've got one your exposition which is the pope and then two something entertaining that distracts the audience from noticing that they're being fed in exposition which is the pool that surrounds it and he does rely on this like method of exposition dumps quite a lot now i'm not saying that is always a bad thing there are ways of making those work but in this film the exposition was their conversation, him and Florence Pugh, and it felt like the pool was Florence Pugh's body. And it made me feel really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. that her body was essentially the interesting thing to keep you entertained whilst they were talking. And it actually didn't, it wasn't entertaining. It was just deeply uncomfortable. I mean, there's absolutely no reason they both have to be sitting naked on those chairs. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You simmed, didn't you, Sim? Yeah. You were like, there's no reason. There was no need for it. And like, if it's supposed to be symbolizing their vulnerability with each other then have them talk about something that's revealing about their character that we haven't we we don't know yet and we don't know or something that they clearly are um comfortable discussing that the audience hasn't heard yet but instead it's just both of them butt naked on a chair also the fact that we see when they first speak there's this really sharp cut and all of a sudden they're having sex Mm. And it's like, you don't need... That was completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. You could have implied sex. You didn't need yeah. to show look, Florence Pugh's body that and, way. And I, I'm someone of the opinion that there's very few sex scenes in cinema that are that narr- that contribute narratively to, the, mm. to films. Uh, I'm not saying don't have them, but there are very few that you think, oh, this, this scene was... This, essential to telling this story there's no way they could have not had this in this story yeah and like you say there are many other ways of implying intimacy or vulnerability in film Mm -hmm. that doesn't reply doesn't um require sorry you know topless women or men or sex scenes or anything like that like you said Mm -hmm. that just come out of nowhere it's like what does that scene tell us and not nothing it re- yeah i comp- i just was about to say and it didn't actually give us anything mm. like it none of her scenes really provide us with much in that film um like there's five scenes um i think we should say they and them actually for florence Pugh, my mistake but um for their scenes like there's i i i might be under counting them but i believe it's under 10 i believe it's like five or six but i might be incorrect there might be more but the majority of them they weren't wearing clothes and they were completely naked and it was more the look at the breasts that are in this scene as the object of which you are distracted by so if we are looking at that way of like exposition where you have something entertaining it felt like 
Nolan was almost like, this is the entertainment, which made me feel very uncomfortable. I didn't like it at all. And it might be my own personal take, but me and Simone both left feeling the same about yeah, those scenes. Yeah, I, I, I felt exactly the same. I was like, this is this is just not... This is, like I said, a step backwards, massive step backwards. And then Huge. Emily Blunt's character... Yeah, massive. And then Emily Twice. character yeah. on top of that, like within so i actually counted it three scenes she had initially she kept not totally but like in her introduction first scene they have they took close they held hands they didn't have a sex scene together they but then it's they go together on a horse riding trip there's intimacy implied and then by the third scene she's having like a complete breakdown because she's had a child already yeah and what's her character about why is she like that why that's don't, such we a never know. character development like it's within like, three scenes she's, she's clearly, had none she's, she's had clearly none. got issues with alcohol or yeah. depression or something but do yeah, we know I mean, I do we know why like, <laughs> i think it's like implied that it's kind of like postnatal depression but like we don't see enough of her nope at nope. all literally three scenes they hold hands they go on a horse riding they have a baby and she's like a drunk because of it it's like that's her progression in the space of like 40 minutes or like half an hour and i was actually like not only is that jarring that's such a disservice to her as a character and just totally not caring about giving us any character development and unfortunately you know they're the most outrageous ones but I felt like most characters in these films were almost like props to be moved from one scene to another to just give us exposition. It just was so outrageous with Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt because they are like meant to be the two main love interests for him. Yeah. But they're so sterile and cold that like I really can't believe there's much love there. It's just, it was just so like, I really, it, I didn't like that at all. It really didn't sit with me well. Other thing I didn't like was Michael Caine's not in this. It's true. It's He's true. not in this. I, is it even a Nolan film? Is it even a Nolan film? I was like, the biggest missed opportunity of this film was casting Michael Caine as Albert Einstein. Like, uh, that I, would I have... thought you were going to say Eisenhower. I was like, he can't Oh, do that it. would have been great. No, no. <laughs> Michael like he, Caine. he can't do any accent. So yeah. <laughs> it doesn't Caine. matter. Imagine if he came to him. And went like passed him that note about like the ignition and Michael Caine's like, I don't want to blow up another earth. What what are you doing here? Like I I would have absolutely loved that. Missed opportunity. Christopher like, what are you doing, Christopher Nolan? Bring him in. Reach him as Einstein. <laughs> you know um, he's supposed to blow up Hiroshima. What are you doing? <laughs> Where is he from? <laughs> <laughs> Kind of went Australian a little bit there. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to do that thing, but I know I can't do it. So Bloody, what is this, mate? Yeah. So, so I think we've all, that we've all obviously shared our thoughts, and I think we're all, you know, Simone and I obviously got more out of it than yourself did, Ian. Um, I think our criticism's probably very similar. It's just, yeah, I that, just didn't enjoy it as much. Yeah. The highs were not as high in, uh, for me as it was for you guys, but we had the same yeah. highs. Yeah, I think we're aligned in where we think the film falls down and has flaws. Yes. I think the three of us all agree on that. Um, the performances as well, totally agree. Amazing. Very good performances. All the performances are good, however yeah. fleeting they are, um, whatever, and even as little as they get to do in some cases. I but... think the person who stole the show was Remy Malik. I thought he was fantastic. 
<laughs> he glad just they, comes out of nowhere. Glad they brought Malik. that. Lad in. I mean, I, glad I, they brought I, him in. I, Rami Malek gets a lot of stick, and I like Rami Malek. I like I like, like Rami Malek. Yeah. Do I think he should have won an Oscar for Borat? Hundred percent not. But, no, 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 no. But I don't. He, he gets a lot of shit. I thought you and, said Borat for a second. Then the, I was like, Bo- Borat, what? Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah. Borat. Bo- Bo- I also heard Borat. He was, <laughs> I was like, what? what he was. Like? Yeah, he was so good in Borat. Do you not know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, is he in Borat sorry. too? By Borat, I mean Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, 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 yeah. Borat. Um, um, is, what's the TV show is he in? It's Mr. Robot, right? Mr. Robot. Robot's which I have, very not, good. Which I ha- which I have good. not seen. It's so. very good. Yeah. He is he's a also, good actor. He's a very. He's good also actor. in the video game Until Dawn, which is very good. And uh, yeah, so I think he's a good actor. Yeah. He just, again, he's like, hey guys, I'm going to tell you all this stuff and then I'm going to go. <laughs> have my, a great exposition dump from my, Nolan there. With, Bring with him my, in. With Bring him clip, in. With my petition clipboard. That I carry around <laughs> yeah, he just had that all the time. Sky, put it down, man. Just put it down. <laughs> but we do need to get into Nolan in a wider Ooh. sense uh, now. I'm a, li- so, I'm a little bit uh, flustered. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit. Whew. So you it's heating up <laughs> as, as you guys, as we've said, you guys have been rewatching the films and going through it. And I'm assuming one of you's enjoyed that more than the other. <laughs> um, oh, mate! But- when I say. I am like I said this to my dad when he called earlier. He's like, "Have you watched all of them?" And I was like, "Yeah, I just genuinely feel drained, like actually drained." Simone was like, "Oh, do you want to finish Tanet?" And I was like, "I couldn't think of anything worse actually right now." I just, I just want to inject that Tanet is Ian's way of saying tenant. It's actually I I won't lie. I don't, I'm not going to steal it. It's actually the Weekly Planet boys. They they call it Tanet, and ever since they said it, I can't not hear Tanet. Like when everybody says tenant. I'm like, do you mean Tanet? Like, it's just stuck in my head. So, yeah. But it is Tanet, isn't it? It's T-E-N-E-T. So yeah, it's a palindrome because it goes backwards and forwards. So it's That's Tanet. The whole point. Yeah. But you pronounce it Tanet. Yeah. Tenant. Yeah. But is it, though? It's Tenet. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> right, well, you guys have notes and essays, so, and, essays in some cases. He's got a five-page essay, apparently. So I, I was saying to Chris before we started, I could definitely submit this for an, for our, like a course that we did back at uni. I, I've put Maybe you can put it on our website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did think, I should have mentioned this before. Maybe so the st- police will ask for it when they come <laughs> um, Should we like flip a coin or something to decide who makes their opening gambit or statement i mean, I, I mean do you have a coin ian you go first wait me, no maybe chris think of a number between one and ten whoever gets closer without going over goes first ian you're going first okay <laughs> <laughs> right so seamless <laughs> best way to start is obviously let's just get your thoughts on nolan as a director as a whole and what we think of him as a filmmaker and what he's done or not done for cinema and how we feel his reception in the wider cinematic world is either um just or unjust so ian thoughts on christopher nolan bear in mind you have the you have the floor okay so as the title of the podcast genius or hack suggests one of us in this debate believes nolan is not as good as a director as people say. However, the title of this podcast is provocative for a reason. We want you to listen, you know? So the question for me when approaching Nolan as a director is, is Nolan a bad director? Possibly. But would I say he's <laughs> an, <laughs> an overrated director? Yes. 
On Internet Movie Database, top films of all time, The Dark Knight sits at the third greatest film of all time, only surpassed by Shawshank Redemption and The Godfather. Here is a short list of the films that it is in front of. The Godfather Part 2, 12 Angry Men, Schindler's List, Lord of the Rings Return of the King, possibly not the best of the three, but still a good film. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Pulp Fiction, Lord of Rings of Fellowship of the Ring, which is the best one of the films. Forrest Gump, The Two Towers, Goodfellas, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Seven Samurai, Silence of the Lambs, only one of a few films to win all major categories at the Oscars that year, Spirited Away, and Nolan's own film, Inception. Right? So there is a long list of films that I could go on that are, that are far behind Nolan's films. It, in my opinion, surpasses three of the greatest films ever made, Blade Runner, Stalker, and 2001 A Space Odyssey. I think principally that Nolan isn't a bad director, possibly, but he's definitely an overrated director. He has quality as a filmmaker, but he shouldn't be lofted into this place of his films are better than Kubrick's or ahead of some of the fantastic directors that we have living today and should be acknowledged for what they are, which is blockbuster films that get people into seats. The people who say and list that he should be winning Oscars just because Nolan's fantastic or giving films such as Oppenheimer 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, this film did not deserve 97%. I will be arguing that Nolan's film's qualities are extremely overrated and have become almost cult-like with the overwhelming support for his films that are clearly not near the quality of, of other films around them and that are gnawed based on his name alone. I will demonstrate this by key aspects of his films that they share cold and emotionless f- f- uh, films, poorly edited, awful, awful, awful script writing, and are just dumb, 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 dumb. Fair That's enough. my opening statement. Oh, opening well sta- opening wow. statement. You, you really prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I have like four bullet points. <laughs> oh, this has been a long time coming to me. <laughs> we talked about this a long time. Ian has brought his A game today. <laughs> Just remember, though, in fairness, this was like also notes from that first podcast that we did that we mentioned that I was too nervous to say. So I was like, oh, I can't say that. People will be angry. <laughs> like I say, when the police come asking questions, we will submit this in evidence as to why <laughs> you went on a Nolan rampage. Um, Simone, your rebuttal, uh, your thoughts on Christopher Nolan as a director and as a filmmaker and his, I guess, status in Hollywood history. Thank you, Chris. Um, I lean towards Christopher Nolan being more of a genius than a hack. Um, I think in reply to what you just said, Ian, um, if I am IMDB. Oh, I thought these were opening, opening this statements. Is, this is, I mean, the word rebuttal was used and please do not, oh, do not interrupt okay. me. Uh, my apologies. Um, sorry. You did it again. IMDB, I is, shh, IMDB is largely, as, as you've rightly pointed out, bias towards white male directors that are usually from America. And if we are to believe IMDb, the only great films ever made, or the, the, yeah, the only great films have ever been made, have all been made by white male directors who I think all of them live in the United States, which we obviously know isn't true. I mean, and it's I do- correct. I think apart from 
Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I'm looking at the list now. Yeah, you're you're all right. No, no, no. Um, Spirited Away is on there. Oh, so Spirited Away is on there. Oh, so okay. is yeah. Parasite. So there is there is um, international films on. Yes, but you are uh, overwhelmingly. It's overwhelmingly, it's, it's, overwhelmingly, it is, it's yeah. white male directors. And now we know this is not true, but I do think that there is a uh, a bias in cinema and what we hold up as great that Nolan does benefit from but I do feel like that he speaks to and um, he speaks to something in the audience that gets bums in seats he's made his impact and I think his uh, films such as Inception, Interstellar, um, Memento all of these films are <laughs> all of these no they're not, <laughs> I'm, my brain just like rewired all of these films are um like they they change what an audience expects from a blockbuster and what an audience like a the generic average film goer expects from a film you know we look at i know we've discussed this about the dark knight and we've talked about how something like the dark knight is a great blockbuster film but the dark knight isn't your traditional blockbuster it elevates so much beyond that and he asked so much more of his audience if we look at something like memento which was a groundbreaking film in terms of its narrative story like the way it tells its story and the narrative in it he tries new things and i really appreciate that and i really appreciate that from him as a storyteller i think we do have issues and i know that we agree on certain aspects of his um writing and i don't think i have issues with him as a director but i do have issues with some of his writing um but i don't, do feel don't, don't agree simone we need but i <laughs> but i do but i do <laughs> <laughs> you earn your opinion no. <laughs> um, yes let's go <laughs> i'm trying trying to be civil here but like i do i do feel like he has changed what we expect from a blockbuster and okay. has changed what uh, the expectations of the average cinema goer and I feel like he has elevated um, the average blockbuster you know if you think about something like Independence Day which is cartoonish that's a great film what it are is you a about great to say? film it is a great film but is it not cartoonish it is cartoonish and it is yeah. ridiculous but if you marry that up to yeah, Dark Knight's pretty was, ridiculous if you marry you stop interrupting me I gave you your time College, my po- you marry, I am very sorry, I'm very sorry. <laughs> if you marry it up with something like Interstellar, which is a far more, um, uh, it's, oh, I can't even think of the word. Thought-provoking? Not, it wasn't what I was thinking, um, ambitious attempt. It's a far more ambitious attempt of, um, of, of, I can't even think of what the word, what I was going to say. You keep interrupting me when I'm on my phone. I'm trying to help. I'm supporting (laughs) you now. I'm trying to help you. It's a ambitious attempt. And I appreciate that. And clearly people do because, we enjoy what he has done and what he has done for the cinematic landscape. Um, I think that's all I have to say at this time. <laughs> <laughs> the, the defense rests. Um, well, wow, those are very good opening statements. Very civil so far, which I like. It's good. We're, good, we're, we're on a good roll, guys. As you can see, Ian is far more prepared with his... Uh... But I think... I, I, I think it's because more... I feel like I have to be. I'm not going to lie. Simone, whenever we debate, Simone's very good at articulating her opinion. Not today. I think the <laughs> not two today. glasses of wine I've had are really hitting All the good. wine. <laughs> <laughs> glasses of wine. Woo! <laughs> 
I think you both made very salient points about Nolan and what he has done, I guess, for film and, you know, filmmaking. Um, if you look at the top 30, I'm just going down to 30 of IMDb top mm-hmm. 250. He has four of those. Which so is ridiculous. Which is Dark but... Knight, Interstellar, <laughs> Inception, and now Oppenheimer. So, um, oh, you know, four out of 30. Film. It's a solid so, film, but of but, all t- of all time, no. of all time, I do, and I do I do agree that that is that is ridiculous. And I have had this conversation with people um, that you know there are so many like world cinema is just completely this unrepresented is on IMDb, and there are so many amazing films that would knock yeah. so many of those films it's, out of the top one hundred. It's fundamentally one of the big problems I have with him, and not I his guess, fault that and I guess things the are skewed. Fa- and the fans he have, you said there's a bias towards white directors that he benefits from. I agree. His films benefit from being like in the right place for him to be liked more than he should. He benefits from that. His films shouldn't be, he should not have four films in the top 30 films of all time. You're placing them alongside. I think once you get to the pantheon, he also has the box office to back it up. Though. Well, that's, he but no, box like... office, box office. You just said, um, uh, Independence Day is cartoonish. That, when it came out, had one of the b- biggest box offices of it its did. time. Does that mean it's one of the greatest films of all time? Maybe some would say. <laughs> you might judge. Some would say. I, really, I really like Independence Day. I think it is a good film. I like it. I watched it pretty much every I, I, week. I, I, my, po- my point was going to be, once we get to the pantheons of like the top films of all time, I'm looking for perfection. And that might be me being like, you know people might say I'm being perhaps pretentious or like too picky, but I think if you're going to talk about films that are of that quality, I'm looking for things that are perfect. Like Come and See, which is like this harrowing film of like the the Holocaust and like the war. And people don't really know it because I agree with you, world cinema isn't very well respected. If my memory serves me rightly, that is a German film, but it it might be uh, a, a different European film. But like that film is perfect and there's not issues with editing there's not issues with script there's not issues with dialogue which all of his films have even the films that i like because as we go through this i do like some of his films i actually interestingly on the way through our journey of nolan's films i enjoyed inception a lot more than i thought i was going to like i genuinely had a good time with that film i look back on my previous review of that film and i'm like i did not I did not click with it then, but I sure as hell did click with it now. But there are still fundamental issues with that film that I just, I'm like, I would be willing to put Inception in like the top 100 to 50 films of all time, but it should not be put in like the top 10 ever, ever of all cinema. And that's the problem. People keep doing that. And I'm like, stop it. Stop doing that. Like put him where he should be. A lot with like James Cameron, him and James Cameron, I see as similar people. I mean, I I think it's it is like it is what it is, though, right? Like people do elevate these these white male directors. So is he overrated? Like, I'm not saying he's overrated. I really enjoy his films, and I don't I don't think there are. I enjoy so much more of his films than I have not. I think the only one that I genuinely didn't like was Insomnia. Like I didn't get on with that film at all. Um, I mean, you did not like Tanette when we left as well. No, and I also, yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Simone turning to me being like, this isn't good, is it? So, <laughs> no, it has to be said, I've been re-watching that today, and the first 
half of that film before they invert themselves, I actually think it's a solid action film. Like, yeah, but that's the really, problem. It gets really to the second good. half and it's I mean, bad. I'll, I'll have to I'll have to finish it off tomorrow and see what I think. But <laughs> we'll come back. We'll come back to we'll that. We'll come back. We'll circle back. We'll do a we'll do a, a recap of it. But a re-review. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I do feel like he does put out quality films that people enjoy and that are accessible. And I do feel like. You aren't the average cinema goer, Ian. That I'm not is, the average bear. You're not the average bear, and that's that's. I think that's part of the the issue when we discuss and talk about films. Both of us have seen quite a wide range of films that most your average cinema goer wouldn't have seen. But I feel like when we we have to look at, look at things from your average cinema goer, he is speaking to your average cinema goer, right? Would we? Should we not want more? But our I do average, feel like he our does af- give us more, and he has our average, vo- our average voter in this country in a few years ago voted for Brexit, so we should want more from like our average person. Not that I'm comparing Nolan that's to like, Brexit. They were, they were that's like, you really are, you really are, but like that's completely different. But like, I feel like he has <laughs> elevated. He really has elevated what we expect from a blockbuster film. He has completely I, elevated it. He's giving us concepts about um, momentum. That's kind of memory, that's kind of shitting time. on all he's of giving, the blockbusters that go before it, though, right? No, it's not shitting on them. I'm just saying that he has he has stepped and taken it a further step from what we're used to. You know, even with Interstellar, he's teaching people about time dilation. Oh, oh no, 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 no! Like, all right, no, no, no! Outstanding! <laughs> like that's brilliant. It's, and he's he's, no. he's giving us questions. What do you mean, no? Because, because the, like, sci- the science doesn't work, that's why. <laughs> the science is complete. Science is sound. It's not. It's so <laughs> stupid. It's so stupid. And this is and this is like one of the fundamental problems I really have um, with, say, Interstellar, which let me just find it in my notes. Uh, because it, I, I've structured my essay, uh, which will go on the internet for everybody to read. Uh, but I in Interstellar's a little bit. Here we go. As like so with Interstellar, it ruins the end by insisting, insisting that it explains the Tesseract by giving it clarity of what the viewers see. And to the to that point, he creates a paradox within his own story, which I fucking hated. I hated that it was the future them that they keep talking about, the aliens are actually future humans that already had solved the problem, right? You don't need to explain this. Like 2001 does not explain the monolith and it shouldn't need to explain the monolith. We as the viewers should be allowed to develop our own thoughts and theories based on what we emotionally react to in the film. And instead, while Matthew McConaughey's floating around in his daughter's bookshelf, they insist on explaining that love has brought us there to a point where that they can mentioned that the, f- the future humans are actually the ones doing anything. And that totally undercuts the themes of that film, which are like human survival, the love of his daughter, because we already knew that they've done it. And they're just merely passengers on their journey of the story that they're telling. They're not actually like a big factor of it because the humans have already done it. And by doing this, like Nolan forces us to, to ironically like think rather than feel his films which is what he says internet just feel it but we are forced to like think about it because he insists on s- explaining how that tesseract and like the the physics works and it doesn't and then it's annoying and it didn't need that i mean i'm, I'm inclined i'm inclined to agree that the ending of the film does let it down but i feel like the rest of the film is 
fantastic. Full of exposition. It's, but it's fantastic totally though. It's, he's giving us, a, he's holding a mirror up to our society right now. Well, well, I heard that. I heard that. <laughs> he's holding up a mirror to our society now and saying that, you know, the, the, the existence of, of man as, you know, emulated by, I've forgotten his name, help me out here. Who? Matt Damon. Um, oh god yeah what how on the nose was that man man. is nasty brutish and short if we don't get our shit together we will not survive but it wasn't though but what do you mean because they had already survived you would be right if the humans hadn't already survived so if everything was meaningless in this film the film is meaningless it's not meaningless yes it is because by the end they had already got there they still had to do it though no they didn't because the future humans have already got there it's a paradox simone as Joseph Gordon-Levitt reminds us in Inception, paradox. paradox. <laughs> I, I like that bit though. Oh I mean, no, it's, it's terrible. Still, it's still like he is holding up a mirror and so he's 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 reading us for filth. We are inherently selfish. We are. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Inherently greedy. We need to start thinking as a collective. You know, I think Interstellar posits some amazing reads of humanity and i won't hear another bad word against it i, I there's so many problems with interstellar I mean, sorry chris it's, it's, not, so... it's not a perfect film i'm not sat here saying this... that it's a perfect film you just said it's you literally it's... just said i won't hear another word against it though, though the, but i really enjoy i won't hear another I, word I re- against it i won't hear another word against it i really but enjoy this... up until the tesseract i agree with you that bit does get a bit silly but there's so much when he's going it. floating around going it's love it's love <laughs> like i do i do think like and i i do feel like most people have we all have the same consensus that that bit is a bit but no, but uh, but we what about in the film that the government or nasa which again he sat being like who are you guys there's a fucking nasa flag behind you man like the what are you talking about you don't know who these guys are but you're telling me these guys random they need him matthew mcconaughey and they've created this whole mission to fly into space and they needed matthew mcconaughey the whole fucking time they didn't look for him once. And he was only about six hours away by all estimates because he drove there. 
So what they didn't look for him for a lot longer than that, and we do see it go from. It could have been a really long time. They put a set out in the morning and got there at night. It could have been fifteen. Didn't come across like that. You don't know. (laughs) You don't know. You weren't there. You weren't there. (laughs) Also, also the population growth thing. We talked about this at length. This was a big thing after the film, and we both were like, the implication does, is does, not great. The implication of if it is really great, bad. it's not great. But I do think, once again, that is an issue with him and female characters because he just really does not think about them. He at doesn't all. care. So, like, like Anne Hathaway. <laughs> Anne Hathaway. And he's talking is like, about. <laughs> is Interstellar, Anne, Interstellar is not a good example of. We've the got, we've got 5,000 5, eggs here that are, like, ready to go and be implanted. And yeah. um, we, can, we can do them in the implantation um, device is that what they call them yeah or like incubation incubation incubation, incubation. we can yeah, do them yeah. in the incubators but with surrogacy that will compound it and it's like and she goes huh? this is the crucial thing this is the crucial you're thing you're the only woman she, hun like yeah she goes out babies she, for days I don't she goes in 30 years we'll have a population of hundreds right 30 years so if you incubate like what did she say something like 10 i remember she said we'll incubate 10 if you incubate all of them and you're waiting, say, 20 years for them to get to maturity, it also sounds like you're saying they must have children, which is also grim as well. So, like, like why did you only send one woman on your trip? Like, ma- like Michael Caine's character in this is a moron because he's like, this is the only chance for humanity. I'm going to send my only daughter, no other females, to go to these planets to have surrogacy who are forced to have surrogacy, very Handmaiden's Tale, didn't like it that. Is, it is, yeah, it, it is a little... And also the maths isn't right. How is it 30 years? Hundreds. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> <laughs> the fuck I mean, are you that, talking that about? Is, that I is, won't hear anything else against the, it. I won't hear another <laughs> word. No, I won't hear another word. But that is, that is, that is a, 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 an ink stain on the film. But I really do... I a big really, blot on the it, film. It, it is, but like... I, I do really enjoy the story. Like I think Interstellar, it does have a beautiful story, and you can't deny that it does have a beautiful story. I can, no, I can't deny. About, yeah, I, it, can, you, you I will deny. It, it it is a beautiful story about how love will pull about us. a love of a man and his daughter who he doesn't care about his son in the slightest, and then and then when we finally so this this does come into my cold and emotionless thing when he finally does have this reunion with his daughter throughout the whole film like the, the the dialogue is all about his love and but it doesn't show his relationship with his son uh it's an afterthought we're told he needs to go find Anne Hathaway but why the film hasn't spent any time trying to like develop their relationship at all even if they have one like his daughter's the thing that's important but no, to him no that's not the point it's not about them having then why is he going there rather than spending that... time with his daughter she's as she said she, i don't want you to watch me die no parents should have to watch their child he die. was there for less than five minutes she wasn't dead like he but she was clearly her. on her deathbed she was clearly at the end of her life and it's like you know you, you've missed it you've missed it but it's okay like you helped me you were there you never so go left find me. this random you never left me go across the universe and continue the plan like continue the plan to do the weird incubation stuff there's nothing left for you it's here. not great there isn't anything left for him on earth which is harrowing and awful but it's like the only life that he has left. I don't know for a film space. for a film that insisted that love is the theme. Like the film doesn't end in love. Then, so you're telling me. So why does he? You, there's no intimate relationship with Anne Hathaway at all, right? But that's what you're saying. 
I, I think, think it's because she she has her love. She buries her love. Yeah, but I think Nolan is implying that there is an emotional connection between Matthew McConaughey. And it doesn't Anne have Hathaway. to be. It doesn't have to be romantic though. You can. But then, like, why? The then why is love. love the thing? You could just like, why didn't she say on the spaceship? Friendships, the meaning. Friend, being a friend is the meaning. You but, know, but you can have love for your friends. Do you not Ang- have love for being your angry is the meaning. Being angry is the meaning. I do. But I feel like, like love trumps everything, though, right? Oh my god! I tell you what, if I was in that spaceship with Anne Hathaway and she started talking like that, I'd turn to the other guy and be like, "She's lost it. We need to like lock her up because she's yeah. she's a she's a problem to the mission." Like, if somebody's going to you, love transcends everything, and like that's the next thing of mechanics. I would be I like, "What are you talking what, about?" It's not, that is what they were saying. They're saying that love is the thing that, that beats gravity, that brings us all together. It's love. <laughs> it is love. All you need is love. All you need literally, is... all you need is that love. That should have been you the out have, music for You need to have, love. You need to have love for thy neighbour. It's a very, it's a very, you know, it's almost like a I just religious feel like... thing happening Ugh. in this film. You know, you have to have love for thy neighbour, love for your planet, love for your people. Don't bring, don't bring Jesus into this. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't need to be brought into you, this. You need to have, you do, like love is the ultimate conqueror of all but things. my point being, yeah, okay, cool. That's fine. If that's what your theme of the film is, then he should have been with his daughter when she died. It doesn't make sense because there is no development of even their relationship. Didn't not want in, him not there. In, no, but not even in an intimate way. Anne Hathaway and Mac- Matthew McConaughey's friendship or whatever it was, was bare bones basic. They're as close as work colleagues. They are not like people I mean, who I'd be like. if you go through traumatic events, but it's it not shown. You. It does. It's it told. It is shown. They, they went through awful things together. And experience things that you and I could never even understand. Well, Nolan tries to explain it to us and it fucking annoyed me. Like, it's you just know, imagine being so far away from home. So far away from home. You know you're not going to be able to go back. You're never going to see your family again. I don't, the planet is film, dying. The film is focused on his relationship with his daughter and not any development on his relationship I'm not saying intimate because uh, you don't think it is, but I don't think it is. That's fine, but there is very, very, very little development of Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey's friendship or relationship, and we're just meant to at the end accept that he's going off into space to be with her for some reason. And it's yeah, but like, but that's the point. Where, like, what about his mad, son? Didn't ask about his son, did he? His son's probably dead. Like, but he, we don't know. <laughs> He did not. He's a man out of time. Like he is fully a man. But also, you think about all the health issues that they were having living on that farm. Yeah, but he didn't know that. He wasn't there. He didn't know that his son was getting some form of lung cancer. That's not explained. They, I'm just assuming that it is. They just bring a random doctor and he shakes his head and being like, "They've got to go now." The wrong things here. Yeah, sorry. We're focusing on just Interstellar, but like. It is a point that I find all of his films very cold and emotionless, even when he's trying to tackle like very deep emotional subjects. Like Memento and like following and Insomnia don't deal with those like deep emotional subjects, but as his films have become more grounded scope, he is trying to deal with those and I find I, them very I would hard. argue that only two of his films try and tackle it. He's clearly trying to tackle emotions because he's been accused of being a cold storyteller or filmmaker in the past. I feel mm. like Interstellar and then Dunkirk is his attempt Did to not... try and inject emotion into films. Do you not think Inception is as well? Which I actually had in my notes that I, I don't think... think so. Oh, well, interesting. I had in my notes because Inception has grown on me a vast amount. Like I, I say, I think, 
I, as it should, it has issues with like its um, uh, dialogue, which we can get into. But like, I found that it was trying to like show the emotional connection between Cobb and his his children, and like, I think is it like a very emotional film? No, but I think it does a fairly good job when he's like clearly there's that small scene which I think you can forget about, but there's a scene where we find out that people can get drugged to go back into dreams and Cobb does that. And I think that's implying because he can then be where his kids are. Yeah. And which I thought was quite good actually yeah. as a, as a proponent of, you know, that film. I don't see, know. I can be nice. You yeah, can be nice. As you know, but we see the, the, um, Poor Chris is like, Jesus. We see the men. (laughs) We see the men all hooked up to the machines and they're like, dream has become their reality. Yeah. And for Cobb, his reality is the dream that he will be able to be in the family again with his wife and his kids. And they didn't do that through dialogue. They did that by showing. Whereas in Interstellar, they do it through dialogue, which is not great. Like when you, it's better to show and not tell rather than tell. And he has become more of a reliance on telling but that's again that's not issue with his direction that's issue with his writing but it is a part of his direction and i I think when he tries to do emotion or deeper feelings and characters that's when you can start to see the gears moving and you can start to see him trying to do it whereas you have other filmmakers who can just maybe not make the kind of spectacles or technical stuff that he can do but will tell a much deeper, more emotionally connective story much easier, much more intuitively than Nolan can, for me anyway. Well, I, I think... Just, I, just don't ha- does... I just don't have that from his films. No, I agree. And I think a director that does both, I think, is Villeneuve. Like, I think Arrival... Villeneuve's great. ...does both. There's this huge yeah. spectacle, but then this emotional punch of, like... Spoilers. Have you seen Arrival, Chris? I can't yes, remember. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. Spoiler yeah, alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. But when you find out that, like, again, see, Arrival's a really good example of how I think you can do things very well with messing with time and having emotional payoff and a spectacle. We find out that everything we've been seeing with her daughter actually dying hasn't happened yet. That was such an emotional payoff. And again, it wasn't a this is telling us it shows us that it's that we figure out that it's that and man that emotional payoff is like so you can do it you can have these grandiose like visions but also have very emotional storytelling i just think nolan struggles to do both which again that does come to his scripts and we'll get into those but i do think there's an element of his editing that and direction choices directional choices that makes that script worse so like it's a crucial part that makes it hard to get involved in his films. He's a vis- He's both trying to be a visual storyteller, but then also telling his films. It's it's almost like he assumes his audience are dumb, so he is a telling them what's happening rather than just relying on the film to allow itself to breathe. In, in Inception, because I I think Inception no, his best I film. well. I think Inception has, uh, it's interesting you say that, Inception actually has one of the points that I think has a very good, and I get perhaps quite frustrated. I do think it has elements that really show his quality. Like one of the best bits is that we have a bit where in the beginning, um, Leonardo DiCaprio looks at his watch and we see the, the ticking of the seconds going very slow and then it speeds up and he comes out of the dream and we re- that shows us that time goes slower 
within the dream. But then later on the film, it just explains that to us again. And I didn't need it to explain it to us again. We already had that established because they showed it rather than telling it. But in his latter films, I think he has just stopped showing and is just telling. There's but no show in, anymore. But in Inception, he's that he he says it like it's said because of um also the Ariadne is really stupid because because of Ariadne she is the the character that that is there for the audience yeah 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 no and that's fine I, I think Inception like has demonstrations of that Pope in the pool that I was talking about earlier it demonstrates like even though I really don't like well no that's not true that's an exaggeration I'm always too extreme even though I have issues with the scene where they're walking through the city in Inception uh, and the city starts folding just because that's like literally stolen from Paprika, um, which if anybody hasn't seen Paprika, Japanese animation film, fantastic. One of the best films ever made. Again, not going to be rated higher than Nolan because, you know, he benefits from being white and a Western director, uh, which is kind of what my point. <laughs> but the <laughs> with Paprika... There's literally dealing with dreams, very similar to Inception, and it literally has a scene where a city is being folded, such as it is in Inception. But that scene actually is also an example of good uh, Pope in the Pool dialogue. So the Pope, the dialogue is Ariadne not knowing about this world. They're having a natural dialogue that Leonardo DiCaprio and Elliot Page would have in that situation of being in a totally fish out of water situation. And the pool is the dream that they're in and stuff happening around. So it does work. You can have it work. But he's relying on that way too much. He does that too much. Not in Inception. In later films. I feel like that very much in Oppenheimer that we just watched. Tanette is probably the most outrageous of that. I think it is a string of exposition dumps of cool action men walking around talking nonsense and babble that makes no sense and hey, to, be, to be fair to, to uh tenant who almost said tenet, to be fair <laughs> to tenant, having just having it very fresh fresher than oppenheimer because i watched it this after the first half of it this fresh afternoon the action sequences in the first half of the film because that's all i watched today mm-hmm. um are brilliant okay but that's I, are... I was talking about the exposition yeah well the exposition is terrible in it <laughs> I, mean, like, I didn't i didn't i didn't get on with that film at all when well I like there's it, but... one of the the worst bits in it is when like don't come into contact with your previous self otherwise annihilation and then he goes that would be bad and it's like yes yes that why the why are you saying that like the, yeah there's another line i think it's elizabeth vicky's line, yeah i've got it right, written down right, where they say <laughs> That would just kill everyone End in the world. And she goes, yeah. and, and my son as well. Yeah. It's like, yes. I've literally got that everyone. line. I've got the end of the world and my son. Okay, so what what do you think about something like Memento then, which I don't feel like has any issues with Pope in the Pool because it's entire... I think it's stupid. I mean, because it's entire... <laughs> the entire like point of it is that the audience are just so as alienated from what's happening as the main okay. character. Um. Yeah, I mean, and he doesn't is... have. Yeah, no, carry on. Carry no, no, you go on. You go no, on. no. I was just all I was going to say is that like he doesn't, from my recollection, because we watched Memento very early on in this project, as it were. Um, but it doesn't, from my memory, have as much of Pope of the Poor exposition dump, other than him just being on the phone continuously in the black and white sequences. Um, 
But him being the one that killed his wife is more the issue in that film. And that is, I think, more script related. Um, you know, him being the one that killed his wife, if he can't make new memories since the attack on said wife, how does he have memories of a man that never existed? A wife that is his wife in his office talking to him and arguing about the insurance of said husband that doesn't exist. And then it turns out that that man is actually him who killed his wife. But like that's the, the idea of it is that he has conditioned himself. Right? Oh, that's such a he's cop out. We went back and forth he's, on this. <laughs> he's conditioned himself because that's not what the film says. No, but it is. is though. It's like it's you. He's like the same way he keeps talking about Sammy and Sammy. Classic like they were trying Sammy. to prove that he could. It was like you could condition yourself to remember things. But and Sammy he, didn't exist. No, but Sammy. Yeah. So he's. That's the problem. Yeah, but he's conditioned himself to. To what? Not remember. Ex- yeah, basically. I n- that's not what the guilt. film says. What do you mean that's not what not- the film says? The film specifically says that his character has this condition Retrograde because of an attack injury, yeah. because he can't remember can't from make that memories. point. Yeah. So if he can't make new memories, even if you are right that he has conditioning, okay, that still means he shouldn't remember Sammy at all. If he's conditioned his brain not to remember shit, then he shouldn't remember Sammy. It's either he's had an attack and he can't remember shit, or he's conditioned his brain not to remember shit. Either way, he shouldn't remember his wife dying because he is the one who did it. So that does either way, he shouldn't have memory of Sammy, his non-existent because Sammy's not real. It's him, his wife, all those conversations. It doesn't make any sense. So it questions it questions memory, right? And it questions how if someone does have this sort of brain disorder and what you can condition yourself to um to like as a comfort right because it's it's not comforting the idea that he was the one you're you're adding this to make it make sense like they don't talk about this in the film there isn't like oh your comfort zone as it were they don't have that like isn't it at the end where he's talking with teddy and teddy's like you killed him you had that moment yeah but that's like but he again because either he's conditioned his brain or he's had that injury he doesn't have new memories to remember that he did that Wait, say that again? So you're saying like he shot the guy, which he did, and he he's did, got yeah, comfort he from killing him. But if if he's conditioned himself or not, and he has that injury, it's still my point stands that he cannot form new memories. He cannot form them. Either through conditioning of his brain or through brain damage, right? Yeah. So he should not remember Sammy. There's no like parts of it that makes sense from him shooting the guy later on because it's a comfort zone. It but doesn't make any the, sense. Well, I mean, is it, isn't that the question that the film is posing, right? It's questioning whether he, who's, who's like, who's, who's being manipulated here? Is he manipulating himself? Like, cause we've got all of these different forms of manipulation going on. We've got Teddy manipulating Leonard. We've got, I've forgotten her name, but Carrie Ann Moss's character manipulating Leonard. We've got all of these different. I just know her as the lady from the matrix. <laughs> Carrie Ann Moss. We've got all of these different forms of manipulation, but isn't the final question: Is Leonard manipulating himself not to remember? Because it, there's uh, well, yeah, I think that's insinu- true. The end is it's obviously insinuated that he has tampered with his, he's tampered with his own evidence, right? That's insinuated. And but then I guess how many he times has, removed... has he done this? It... Exactly. And well, how how would he get away with that though? How would he get away with what killing killing that many people? Well, well I guess he's, he's been working with Teddy. America, he's been, no, but he's been working with Teddy, who is actually a cop and has been using him as a hired gun. I think that the implication is how yeah, is he going to get away with kill? it now? 
that he's killed Teddy. I think, yeah, I mean, but it still doesn't answer why he's remembering Sammy. You've kind of like, you've brought up a different point about Izzy at the end. That's it. It's a different point to why he has Sammy in his brain. Like that, that just is a big plot hole that really bothers me because it's a big crux of the film. See, I take that to be him. Poor Chris is just sat here. Sorry, Chris. Just sat here at the moment. What did you think of Memento, Chris? Um, I... Let's bring Chris into it. Like, I feel bad. Me and Simone are just talking at each other. I, I haven't seen Memento in a while. I remember kind of just letting it play out and not trying to overthink it too much because I'd heard about it, obviously. I don't. I, I didn't see it when it came come out, um, probably a couple of years after. And I remember hearing about it and what it was like. So I just thought I'd let it play out. And I must say, I, I, pro- I did enjoy it. I haven't really gone back to think about it. I didn't enjoy it to the point where I thought, oh, I need to go and watch that again at some point and try and pick it apart. I was kind of just of a... Never have I, unless en- we did this. I was, en- I, was enter- I was entertained and I was like, okay, this was probably after, you know, I knew about Batman Begins and the Prestige and all that stuff. So I knew who Nolan was. And I was like, okay, well, we'll go back and watch uh, Memento. I had much less enjoyable time with Insomnia, which I think we all did. Oh, yeah. Uh, which Way is, worse. Which is just, it's, it's a film that he made. My um, note think- for Insomnia is, can we not? Can we not? <laughs> you know what? I, I agree with that. Can we not? You know, it's weird. Uh, I, I went into Insomnia that. being like, I actually enjoyed this one. And it ended up being one of the ones I liked the least in the rewatch. Yeah. The uh, the original is much better. Um, is it original? Yeah, it's based because it's set in the Arctic Circle. The original, I cannot remember which. Oh is damn! Very, very well, bad. There you go. You learn something new every day. Yeah. The more um, you know, and knowledge is power. Yeah. It, yeah. Which is why it's one of his few films he doesn't have writer's credit on because he didn't write it. Ah, um, no which, wonder it was better written. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think for me just known in general is and the question at the end of this will be i guess how do we feel about we haven't even got to dark knight yet mate we yeah i know we got more to come baby batman thing to go on but i, I think <laughs> tune in for part two yeah at this rate yeah um <laughs> but um what time are we on i'm on my notes so i can't yeah. actually see hour we, 13 damn yeah we um we for it's mainly me, me shouting. I'm sorry. <laughs> for me, Nolan is he's he's a very technical director, and he is the kind of director that will make me think: What am I going to see now, and what am I going to go to the cinema to see something different? I liken his films, and this may sound derogatory, and if it does, then fair enough. Like a science exhibition when you go to a museum and they have a thing. So a bit boring. This, no, it's like no, it's it's, it's <laughs> amazing to look at. I'm it's, joking. It, I, I love a, a museum. I love a museum. It's amazing to look at. It's amazing to watch and all the stuff that's going on, how they put it all together and stuff, and they go. But what's the story at the end? There was the depth in that. And have, some of his films have that at points. I have a question for both of you then. Right. Okay. Shoot. Do you feel? that his films have progressively got worse in that respect. Have they lost, have they become too clinical and have they lost an aspect of the emotional element, which I know he was accused of being cold, but do we feel that his more recent releases, say post Dark Knight trilogy slash Dark Knight, have they become too formulaic in that sort of scientific way? I would say he peaked at Inception and... It's 
been spotty since for me. I, I I would agree. I um Inception is I mean people are calling Oppenheimer his masterpiece. I think Inception is I think no, Inception, Inception is definitely is. Inception I've seen two is. I've seen two films this year that I liked more than Oppenheimer and uh, I've seen quite a few films. Yeah, well, <laughs> but I, I look I, Spider-Man it, being the number 1 actually. I think that was drastically better. I mean, John, I mean John Wick 4 brilliant film. Oh, do you think uh, that was better than this as well? Yeah, oh, then Oppenheimer. Yes, yeah. 100%. There you go. Um, Heard it here first, folks. Yeah, but like, because I, and we can get into the Batman films now, I guess, as well. Cause Let's do it. That trilogy, but Let's I, do it. It's, I, a, I've, it's I've, under I've, my section, awful scripts. Well, I've, all, I've <laughs> anyone who's listened to us before will know that I've always enjoyed Batman Begins more than the other two. Um, I think it's a better Batman film, um, which, you know, anyone who's listened to me bang on about Batman for <laughs> more than five minutes will know that. I love my Batman. Um, and I, I think I really, I think the Dark Knight's a good film. It's a really good film. It's just not a good Batman film. And that's what brings it down for me. I do think that the, the Dark Knight Rises, I think, is universally the worst of the three or the least favoured of the three. But I, what do we think of the Batman trilogy? Because obviously taking on a superhero franchise is kind of not a step for Nolan. Obviously, he, he likes his um original concepts i guess if we mm. go with that but he's obviously got source Unless material to work from paprika no i'm joking yeah. i'm winding it's well, not with that okay i'm just um, poking the bear with mentioning paprika. Not even gonna <laughs> Simone, Simone, what do you think of <laughs> yeah sim you dark, go first you go the dark knight trilogy his batman superhero ventures so um before in i started re-watching all of nolan's films i felt that batman begins was my favorite like that was the film that i quite literally watched on repeat like I absolutely loved that film on a rewatch I didn't actually get on that much with Batman Begins mm-hmm. I found it quite slow um and very exposition heavy as if like the entire film is the exposition for the trilogy um I really enjoyed Dark Knight like that is a fantastically fun film yes it's <laughs> overhyped because it is held up as one of the greatest so it's overrated made. you say it's the third it's greatest film of all time. Um, <laughs> because I do feel like if you take out um, Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker, which is, it, it's still, it's still. Something I will say is very rarely is there a bad performance in Nolan's films, and but that one is outstanding. It's, yeah, it does. It, it escalates it to a whole different echelon. Like it's, it's just way up there. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, the film is, is largely overhyped. Of because of Heath Ledger's performance, but the film is broadly well made. Um, <laughs> it's broadly well made. I, I know. Care I to elaborate that. on that one? Yeah. Um, what do you mean by broadly, Simone? Well, I do feel like there are some silly, what, what would you say is wrong? almost cartoonish moments of, of dialogue, and yeah. I do agree with Ian's <laughs> reference to the Pope in the pool. Um, of... I feel like that's going to become like that that's your catchphrase now. That is your yeah. catchphrase. Or we should have a T-shirt with like <laughs> Nolan's face and open the pool. On you, should, you should both have one when he when it says "I'm the pool." When it says "I'm the pool," yeah, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like there are some there are some ridiculous moments in it. Um, uh-huh. Namely, the I've got them written down. Oh, just you wait. I've got it down. Um, I've got it down. Which is it's it's unnecessary, and I feel like he's trying to make jokes when they're not quite necessary and you don't have to you know call for laughs laughs at 
inappropriate moments. Um, <laughs> I think it is a very it's it's a broadly well made blockbuster. Well, I what did you think, think of Dark Knight Rises? Because you just I finished that one. Did not like that film at all. It, no. it's just it causes it brings up more questions than it <laughs> solves. One, why at the end when? Um, oh, you're sounding the, like me now, Jesus. Not, <laughs> not even at the end, oh, but. When I'll delete my Alfred, section. Don't when Alfred is talking about, um, <laughs> I just wanted to see you. I'd be in a cafe in Rome, and I'd look over and I'd see you with a wife, and we wouldn't even talk to one another. We'd just nod at each other, and I'd know that you made it and you were happy, Master Wayne. Like, why would number one? Number one, why wouldn't you say hi? Like, this is someone that you've you've known his entire life. Like, why would you just nod at him and be like, oh yeah, you're alive. Well done. Like, what? Well done. well done, mate. Well done. What? Like, considering everyone thought that Bruce Wayne was dead, yeah. you were literally crying over his grave, yeah. not even 15 minutes ago in the film, being like, I, f- I failed you. I failed I'm, you. I'm oh. enough a member and then of you the see Wayne him family. alive in Rome, and you're just <laughs> yeah. like, cool, bet, cool, yeah. What exactly. is happening here? Like, that, that actually made me a bit angry. I was like, that's a ridiculous <laughs> thing. The Dark Knight Rises makes no sense. It doesn't sense. make any sense. I'm not going to lie. I, a lot of what Simone's saying here is in my notes about Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> so it, I'm, I'm not going to say it, anything about it. I think it's in everyone's notes because the Dark Knight Rises is <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Ridiculous. Absolutely yeah, it's ridiculous. Good, no, it? you can't. I, I watched it with subtitles, thank God, because I couldn't understand a word Bane was saying. Like, also, also doesn't make any sense. Like, he should be Mexican as well, just FYI. Like, Bane. Is like if my memory serves me rightly, Bane is like from South America. I, I think believe sp- you're right. Yeah. I think he is from Mexico. That might be from Batman 1966, the comic books. Which I'm not gonna lie, I love those comic book run. It's a recent run where they revive Batman 1966, the series. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is from South America. I thought so, but in 1966, he's a uh, Mexican wrestler, and his mask is a wrestling mask, which is outstanding. That would have uh, been so much better. Yeah. Would have been, yeah. and also, like, why is he like a country British gentleman in this? Why is he like, oh, 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 oh. The fire rises, <laughs> and everything after the darkness, <laughs> <laughs> and everything's like one-liners with him. Like, why is there so many one-liners? Like, stop it! You're yeah, meant to be it, a bad guy, not yeah, a comedian. It, did, it just sort of like it all fell completely flat and mm. detracts from like. I Don't feel you? Like- but also Love. another question I have about the oh, Dark Knight oh, Rises. Actually, you are sounding like me now. This is no, hilarious. No, one other question I have: Why didn't they just kill the Joker off? Because we, having watched Dark Knight Rises, we all saw how prepared the Joker is to get out of any situation. He you managed mean Dark to Knight. Himself, you said Dark Knight Rises. Sorry, yeah, Dark Knight. He hmm. manages to get out of jail when he's popped in jail. You know, well, if if we are to believe that he is just arrested and put in jail and is just sitting there, bullshit. Yeah, just chilling. No, he did what bullshit. he did. You know, like, like, oh yeah, or, or I'll, if... I'll let Bane take this one. Like, what? Yeah, I'll let Bane have this one, guys. Um, no, I agree with that. I also didn't you like the beginning bit with the plane with Bane, which is the dumbest opening sequence ever. Like, didn't you love that with some of the stupid dialogue? Like, that was great. I'll expect one of us in the re- in the rubble, brother. Okay, cool. I'll just yeah, cool. Then. All right, I'll die. Yeah, sh- sound. Why and then shoot when... a man before you throw him out? I mean, it's a fair point. Why <laughs> would no, you do that? It's a good question. It's, it's so good. dumb that he's doing it. 
But it's more the bit where he's like, if I take that mask off, will it hurt? And he's like, it would be extremely painful. And then he goes, you're a big guy. And he's like, for you. Is he no saying, way. you're a big guy for him? <laughs> 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 what is that? Love the homoerotic vibes there, man. I love the tension. tension. Like, Bane's just like, yeah. I mean, yeah, I do think that Dark Knight is is fantastic. Like, I, I, Ian has been talking that film down for years to me and I hadn't rewatched it. But on rewatch, I actually really enjoyed it. I do, I do think, and this is a good time for me to jump in on my thoughts on Batman. Um, weirdly enough, I actually agree with Simone with Batman Begins being the weakest, um, like weaker than Dark Knight. Weirdly, before going in, sorry, Chris, but before going in, that's fine. I thought you're both wrong, but that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Turns into a freeway fight now that we're all arguing. Uh, No, I think Batman Begins did feel just like totally exposition heavy, and like although I really, really love um, Killian Murphy as a, as an actor. Also, I heard him talk for the first time without an accent on, and it completely freed my brain because I've oh, only ever Irish. seen. Yeah. He's like heavy, heavy, like heavy, heavy Irish, Irish not just like a soft Irish accent, like yeah. heavy. Like he sounds similar. Yeah. We, there's a friend of mine, Foster, which if you're listening, Hey Foster, but he, um, he has a very heavy Northern Irish accent and he sounds like as heavy as that. And like, I just didn't expect that from him. I thought it was going to be at least soft, but yeah, good for you, Killian uh, Murphy. Great, great accent, but and also fantastic at playing other accents. Totally impressed. Oh god, yeah, amazing, like outstanding. And but in um in Batman Begins, it's like I don't know. It's really dumb that film. There's like a lot of exposition that doesn't really lead to much. I would that... say that Scarecrow's plan makes no sense. <laughs> it's so, it makes no sense. Like, no sense I at mean, all. I mean, Ian and I, we, we've spoken about this quite a bit, and we have both concluded that something that would have added to the film, yep. just another we, little layer, would have been if there had been, like, police reports of, of people, people like, in, going like, crazy. When, going crazy in their own homes. Like, you take a shower. Boiling kettle. You know, yeah. you boil a kettle, you're yeah. cooking food, and people are starting to lose their minds. Yeah. Um, that, that would have added to the. That would have added to it. And it would have been like, well, what's going on? What is this? And then we see what Scarecrow's that plan is. Yeah. And we're like, ah, it makes sense. Uh, yeah. But they didn't do that. So, yeah. And, and then the bit, there's just, yeah, I just felt like that film was very, it's been a while again. We watched that early on in our journey through this catalogue. And I do remember Rajar Ghoul being just like, constantly giving like long dialogue heavy pretentious crap that i just was like can i kill him can i let him like die in the train for you because like it was just so heavy-handed and um scarecrow just like spraying people with his spray and then them going crazy it was just like really weird as well because wouldn't there be like footage of that happening and like i don't know just wasn't great whereas dark knight i do think is better but it's still dumb like it's it's still why is it i mean well i was uh, do you know what thanks for asking simone i will i will tell you (laughs) it has obviously one of the big issues that we're like that we have discussed and we've alluded to is that he's a bad script writer and he's not good at writing films and we've you've said you've got problems with his script let's get into that because i feel like Dark Knight has a lot of that in there. So it has great set set action pieces and really great action in it. But it does show some of the really goofy elements in his films and really stupid stuff. Like 
almost every cop in all of the Batman films, with exception of um, Gordon and Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, are total goofball idiots that are completely ridiculous. Like in Dark Knight, there's a SWAT team where the guy goes, I didn't sign up for this. You're in the SWAT team. What do you think you signed up for? <laughs> like, that is literally your job. And then, like, there's another bit where he's like, he's coming right up your butt. That is a piece of dialogue within The Dark Knight. That's a that's a line in a film that people say is the third greatest film of all time. And then the one that you alluded to before, which is just outrageous and completely stupid, is again in that SWAT scene. There's a bit where the Joker... So we'll get into how this bit's really stupid in a second, but just for this dialogue, the they're, they're transporting Harvey Dent, who has said he's Batman, even though he's not Batman, to a prison. And the Joker's like, great, cool, I'm going to come kill him. And the SWAT team's been put out of place, so the, the Joker has an open shot at him. So he pulls out an Uzi, and he's like shooting at the Bat, uh, the Batmobile, at the, the SWAT van. And then the guy inside is like, oh, can is this thing built for that? And it's like, he's going to need something a lot bigger than that. And then he pulls out a bazooka, and then one of the guys is like, is that a bazooka? And it's like, that's, again, dialogue that's in this film. It's really stupid. And it's unfortunate because that scene has this, like, really good build-up where it's just silent with this, like, increasing, like, sound. And then it has just... what you're going for. Sorry, what? (laughs) What? Going for a Uh, high-pitched sound. Um... (laughs) It really undercuts the tension of that scene. And then, if I was to extrapolate on why it's really stupid, um, in The Dark Knight, we have, and it does link into what I was just talking about with that scene, we have like the Joker's plan, which you talked about him getting arrested. He knew he was going to get arrested and put in a prison with a guy that he strapped a bomb in and he was specifically going to get taken to that police detention center so that could then blow up so he could then get out because he knew he was going to get put in that one with that guy. It's all very complicated. But to add on top of that, which is really stupid, is Commissioner Gordon's plan. So, like, he gets shot before in the parade when the Joker turns and shoots to try and kill the mayor and he jumps in front of the bullet gets shot, and then we see him die. Like, one of the officers has stood there, he's dead, they say he's dead, and then it turns out he wasn't dead, he was faking to be dead, so that he could pretend to be one of the SWAT guys, because he knew that Harvey Dent was going to say that he's actually Batman, but then he also knew that the Joker was going to do something, so he would need to be there, because he knew that Batman was going to flip the truck so that they could have that face off that he would then need to stop the Joker from taking off the Batman mask to then capture him. And the Joker knew that Gordon was going to do that to then get captured, to get put into that prison and do all of that stuff. That is like the dumbest I've ever heard in a film. Like it, And that is what's happened. Because I, I, when we were re-watching it, I wrote down that part and we went through it and it is... So yeah, that's why it's really dumb. That is just really dumb. I think there are issues with the, I guess the the plausibility of certain parts of Nolan's films. I think Tenet ha- suffers in the second half majorly oh, for that. <laughs> I think, I think, uh, and you're right. Dark Knight, the Commissioner Gordon thing for me is a big one. 
that he's for the reasons really he just mentioned. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make yeah, sense. it doesn't. What I will say, though, is it is a very entertaining film. Yes, I think if is. you take Batman and Joker out of it, it's a still an entertaining thriller. I think it gets well, it's heat, much... isn't it? Yeah, it's heat, essentially. Yeah, it's heat. Uh, We're watching and, a, yeah. another version of heat. If you, if, if you take out Heath Ledger's performance, this film does not get the, the reverence it does to this day, I think. I but, really uh, strongly don't think it would be in the top three films of all time. I, if Heath Ledger's not in this. And I don't I, think it's the best Batman I've no, seen ever. No. So, no. Um, n- n- none of those three would be for me. I of... had a fun time with Dark Knight, but I think for different reasons as Simone. I think, Simone, you found it more entertaining in a legitimate way in, the, yeah, I in found... a very legitimate way i think it's a very it is a very entertaining film like there isn't any moment watching that where i was like i'm bored i'm not entertained i'm not enjoying... well that's true i wasn't bored actually that's a fair point i was not bored you're in that not film bored. at all you're, you're mm. thoroughly entertained but, is that not what the film sets out to do right is but i don't think nolan wanted you? me laughing at parts of the film well, I think he he, he does because he, he does, he but probably in, not. He puts in lines like, "Is that a bazooka?" So like that that he's. Yeah, but I didn't make... laugh at that because it's actually funny. I laughed at it because it's. Well, stupid. you still laughed, so, <laughs> so Nolan wins. Okay? Also, also, the bit where the Joker takes off his mask in the hospital and then Harvey Dent reacts that's, to him. That's become a bit of a meme, though, hasn't it? Like, well, I mean, stupid. poor guy's only got half a face, so maybe his eyesight's not. Cut so him good. some slack, you know. He's got. He's only got half a face, you know. It's... Also, his rampage is a bit weird. You know, he's like flipping the coin and shooting people. There's the bit where he's like, flips the coin with the gangster and he's like, what does that mean? He's like, you're okay. Flips again. He's like, but your driver's not. Shoots the driver. Well, you know, you have killed him though. Like, so. Yeah, but it was done. He killed the other guy. So, you know, technically it's within the rules. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Look, it's horrendous, but he's made his own rules and he's sticking by them. So, you know, you've got, you've got <laughs> Dude, to appreciate shut that. Shut your face, Ian. <laughs> he's got, he has integrity in what he's doing. Okay, fair enough. All right, right. okay. Right. I'll let Two Face get away with that. Right. We need to wrap up. So, I've got a few more questions for you before we wrap up. So, um, which films were you bored by? Uh, I would I, I would say his latter films are generally I found more of a drag. So Oppenheimer, Tnet, um Dunkirk. We haven't even got into Dunkirk. Dunkirk, uh Dark Knight Rises, I would say all of them I've been particularly bored by, yeah. But before that, I'd say the action in like Inception, let's just put on the record I enjoyed. Dark Knight, not boring. Batman Begins is fine. So yeah, his latter films. Simone, I mean, I, I'm particularly not bored by Nolan's films, although I do get varying returns from them. Safe to say yeah, you're not, I, you're I not agree. bored. I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't think I've, I'm largely bored by his films at all. No, I, I find his films really entertaining, even the ones that I don't enjoy as much, um, such as Dunkirk. I didn't enjoy that on a second viewing, but it's still entertaining. Um, and has some amazing aerial sequences. Um, so yeah, I, I he he creates entertaining films that, uh, yeah. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> cool. cool. Well, All right. So so I guess my next question kind of is twofold. It's a sort of before and after. So obviously, before you did your rewatch of these films, um, what was your least and most favorite film? of Nolan's before the rewatch and has that changed I guess since Simone we'll start with you uh no my most favorite film is still Inception and my least favorite film 
actually no because i thought i enjoyed insomnia before and i don't think that was <laughs> that can't have been true yeah, we really didn't like um that. i didn't like insomnia um my least favorite film is probably still dunkirk because i didn't even want to rewatch that fair enough fair yeah. enough ian i think yes it has changed i think oh going into rewatching his films i think i had my least favorite as tenet 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 and then <laughs> my most favorite i thought was going to be batman begins and then at the end of this my least favorite was still tenet but my most favorite was inception i think i do really think inception is probably his like peak of his films like it really is like it all kind of comes together but tenet actually feels like a director trying to do a Christopher Nolan film, but it's actually Christopher Nolan making yeah, that, that film. I, I feel like Tim tried to do a Bond film to a degree. Yeah, I guess as well. But then Inception, I feel, has that, and it works really well. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah. I feel I feel of Tenet, he's really trying to pull a lot of the Bond moves as opposed to Inception, where it's kind of like, if it doesn't seem as obvious. Mm, which maybe, is what, that's which, fair. I, I, and I, th- I, I agree. I think... Agree, Simone. Inception is probably my favorite. Yeah. I think that's his peak. I think I we're all agreed that yeah. that's the best one. Yeah. Like, you know, it is a really good film. Mm. Well, it has dumb dialogue, but I'm more forgiving of that because I think, don't sigh at me. Do not sigh. You've been sighing at me constantly. So. That's true. I have. I've been a lot of sighing this, this podcast. Um, it's our relationship, just sighing. <laughs> <laughs> You guys, you guys are just gasping for breath the whole time. It's <laughs> just like, uh. <laughs> right. So I've actually final... got asthma in there. <laughs> final question for you both. Very simple. Simone, is Chris Nolan more a genius or more of a hack? He has strokes of genius. So I'm, I'm going with genius. Okay. There you go. Ian? Um, I would say he's... The truth is somewhere in between. It's lost <laughs> in the source. I think hack is perhaps a strong word, but it is a strong word. I would say he is he is ta- he is talented. He is certainly a talented uh director, but that has become lost in the sea of poor exposition dumps and his own self-merit that I think has made his films far more far less enjoyable than they used to be. And uh, I think his cult that surrounds him has created almost like a, if you say you dislike him, you're uh, mm. a... <laughs> uh, so uh, unfortunately, yeah, I would side more with Hack. Um, what do you yeah. think, Chris? I would side more with Genius. But if we're looking at it in a percentage, probably just over half that way i feel like his storytelling is very lacking and that's a mm. big draw from any film for me a film doesn't need to look good or sound good or really be shot all that way as long as the story gets me i don't really mind and i feel like i have more often not the opposite with nolan where i'm it's a spectacle and i'm enjoying it from a wow i've never seen this kind of thing or he's pres- showing me something in film that i haven't seen but at the end of the day, I don't connect to a lot of his characters and I don't connect a lot to his story and I don't 
get involved in the stakes of the thing as much as I'd like to. So, Would we all agree that a good way of encapsulating perhaps all of our thoughts on Nolan, but obviously we have different, different like... Uh, get a screenwriter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Simone did say it in the car. No, I was like, he needs uh, a new script editor. Yeah. Need, yeah, he needs someone to give it a once over. Just to be like, like two, two, a new script editor. Hire me. I offer myself. <laughs> yeah, hire to... Simone. Because she would get you to drop stupid lines like, that's relativity, folks, in Interstellar. Just get rid of that. You don't need it. You just. Yeah, yeah. Chris, if you're listening, Simone is available. <laughs> and... I, I, yeah, I'm. A reasonable rest. Much of the UK <laughs> film industry right now, I am not working. So I am at your disposal. So. Um, yeah. I think a good way to encapsulate him, and I think we have varying results watching his films, but would we all agree it's the spectacle over the substance? Well, I, I would agree. I think he does quite often, you know, try new forms of storytelling um, that we so haven't, is it the spectacle hasn't over the often, substance <laughs> that hasn't often been seen. Like you take something like Memento, like there hadn't really been anything like that before. Like obviously there'd been non-linear. Uh, non-linear storytelling but in terms of having like a big film being like that yeah like having like two like the narrative running opposite each other you know you've got chronological and reverse chronological um i don't think that's a term but or entropy like you got like they're running in in like in tandem together Mm. to alienate the story so that you're in the same position as the character like i think that is genius that and it's that is genius or a gimmick <sighs> no i don't think it's gimmicky i think it is a bit though because no, after you watch it if you watch no, the it film once becomes then... a puzzle much like in the same way yeah, but then Leonard, if you watch it Leonard again it's trying just... to no the, the same way that leonard is trying to solve the puzzle of his wife's murder like you didn't I even think talk that's... about the prestige in this one. i think that's, jesus we're gonna that's... have to do a part two I think that in itself is is genius like give i the don't know i think that's such a strong word like when you like I would consider like Kubrick a genius, or um, you know uh, Park Chan Wu a genius who did Old Boy, uh, or you know um, what's his face, um, uh, Ar- uh, oh, what's his face who did Solaris and Stalker, Tarkovsky. Tarkovsky. Like these these guys are in that echelons of genius and. You know, they all did very interesting things with their films, as well as being able to like d- do their like story justice. I feel like he's very talented, but I think it's the spectacle of what you're seeing over the substance of it. And I actually think if he let the spectacle breathe more, rather than giving us awful exposition, the films might actually be better for me. Like if they had less stuff like paradox, that's relativity, folks. Like it's stuff that like is in is for us the viewer rather than the film like i was saying to simone in the car when we're on the way back you know matthew mcconaughey's character a pilot a space pilot who has done this before is an engineer being told how wormholes work in the way that you learn about it in event horizon and being told about this stuff about gravity in the moment of that mission is not for him it's for us Whereas if we didn't have that, I actually think the film would be better. So if he just allowed the spectacle to breathe, I think I think his films would be, would well, be better. I think that's all the time we have for now. But we, 
clearly clearly need to clearly need your mouth Ian. We clearly need to have a part two discussion of the this. compromise is that we both think he's a talented director oh, he's but wildly he's flawed. talented wildly well talented. I, th- I think we can all agree he's talented. talented he's talented he's got a bit of talent there you know <laughs> right the world i'm I think we're going to have to have a part two of this at some point to carry this on, get Toby involved, and you know, I really... think Toby would want to be. On <laughs> You're right. We haven't even mentioned the prestige or anything like that yet. We've been talking for nearly two hours, and you know, there's a lot more we can go into. But I think for now, that's all the time we have for this week. So thank you guys. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it was just... good for you. <laughs> Did you enjoy it, Chris? You were mainly a listener. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as a okay. listener, and I hope other listeners okay. do. Um, I'm so sorry. It's all right. It's all right. I, I this knew is a brief I, look into our lives. I knew what I, I knew what I was getting into. Um, so, obviously, of course, thank you to all you wonderful listeners that tune in every week. We really, really appreciate it. And we whether this, you. we do, love we you. love you. You guys are great. Whether this is your first time, uh, well done. And um, <laughs> You're or never you catch back. us every week. <laughs> If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember that you can listen to us talk about all kinds of things like the latest Marvel releases, releases, what's happening in the DCU, because we have no idea, Uh, comic book (laughs) recommendations and a whole lot more. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and SoundCloud. So please do tell your friends and family to come join us as well. But until next time, goodbye from Ian and Simone. Bye. And goodbye from me. Thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. Bye. Toodles. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.